Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 15th. Carrie Lake's loss in Arizona that was called last night by the major election desks, including at Fox News, is perhaps the biggest trophy of the whole election season for the movement to save democracy. Add her defeat to that of other big lie candidates for governor in the states where Trump tried to subvert the 2020 election, like Doug Mastriano's loss in Pennsylvania and Tudor Dixon's loss in Michigan, and just as importantly, election deniers lost races for secretary of state in the swing states likely to matter in the 2024 presidential election. So is the Trump world threat to electoral democracy over now with those results? And the fact that Republican losers around the country are doing something very old-fashioned, conceding defeat in the elections that they lost. Might the election itself have defeated the election denial movement, or is it not that simple? With us to discuss... New York Times national political correspondent, Nick Corisaniti. I apologize, Nick. His latest article is called Voters Reject Election Deniers Running to Take Over Elections. And he has a section in this morning's New York Times running elections page called In the Midterms, Voters Who Trusted Elections Were More Likely to Vote. Duh. Nick, I see how busy you've been. I appreciate you giving us some time today. Welcome to WNYC. Oh, thanks for having me on. Can I start with the governor's race in Arizona sure. being called for Katie Hobbs over Kerry Lake last night? Does that mean Democrats ran the table in swing state governor's races with election deniers on the ballot? Yeah, it, it basically amounted to a pretty resounding rejection of election denier candidates who were running you know, both on the platform of election denialism and to take over, you know, uh, aspects of election administration from secretaries of state to governors to even attorney generals. Um, you know, we saw pretty uh, across the battle of uh, across the battleground states, you know, a clear rejection um, of these candidates. And I, I think it kind of, you know, it, it speaks a little bit in a way to, I think, what voters have been saying for a year, but was missed a little bit in polling in the end, which is that, you know, the economy was clearly the most important issue in these midterms. And when you'd read polls, you'd see, okay, um, I see that voters are concerned about democracy, but, you know, only 4% say it's the top issue, 20% say it's inflation. So I'm a little concerned that maybe they won't vote on democracy. But I think what we see, especially with Carrie Lake, who made it so core to her campaign, is that voters, when they hear all the continued, uh, you know, falsehoods about the 2020 election, that's not telling you how you're going to fix the economy. That's not telling you what your plan is, you know, for anything regarding uh, addressing inflation, talking about jobs. It was just, I think, such a backwards looking and extreme uh, point of view that it really turned off voters, especially ones who were turning in late. You know, the low information voters, when all they hear is something about the 2020 election, when they're like, well, wait, gas is five bucks a gallon. That doesn't help me. I, I think you see, you know, part of the rejection of, the election denialism movement was just that it wasn't talking to what voters cared about. Yeah. Now, on Arizona, their recount law kicks in if a race ends within a half percentage point. 
Hobbs margin is a little more than that as of now, but could that race still go to a recount? It certainly could. Um, you know, there's still outstanding ballots. Um, the uh, the margin could shrink. Um, you know, there's a little bit still unknown there. And then I also think, you know, we have to look at uh, Carrie Lake's entire campaign and her tweet last night signaling that she won't be going quietly. You know, they were, they were already preparing uh, litigation. They sued on election day to try and keep polls open um, in in a uh, in Maricopa County where they had experienced some issues with voting machines. Um, so I, I think we can probably expect based on her tweet last night calling the re- results, you know, something I won't say um, <laughs> that this, this this will extend, I think, you know, beyond be, be that, you know, a full on campaign to discredit the election, uh, you know, a lot President Trump in 2020 or just a kind of more focused lawsuit challenging, you know, some of the closings and the procedures and and possibly some ballots. So, yeah, while this is called as it should be and, and you know, uh, Katie Hobbs is uh, the governor elect in Arizona, as the Associated Press has said, I, I we're going to still be hearing news from Carrie Lake out of Arizona for, the, I think, the next few days. And not just the Associated Press, but as I said in the intro, the Fox News election desk as well. I'm curious how significant you think that is. And also, here's a line from the AP that I think is important. It says, Lake made a number of media appearances complaining that Maricopa County was slow rolling results and without evidence called the state's vote count botched, prompting Maricopa's Republican elections chief to rebuke her. That from the Associated Press. So how significant do you think those two things are? The Fox election desk calling the race for Hobbs and the fact that the Republican elections officials in that key county that includes Phoenix are not playing along with any election denial games. Well, I think seeing Fox call it, we knew they were going to be possibly extra careful this year after, you know, they called Arizona in 2020 before a lot of other networks were comfortable now, they ended up being right. You know, President Biden did win Arizona. But I think based on the data that came out that night, a lot of pollsters have said they wouldn't have necessarily made that call. And so I think there was a lot of attention on how Fox News was going to call Arizona. And they might be, you know, a little bit more reticent than someone else to make an early prediction. I mean, an early uh, race call until they were absolutely certain. So I think them making a call states we are absolutely certain that this is the result. You know, Carrie Lake is lost. So I think you can take a lot of um, uh, uh, that certainly says, I think, what everyone else is saying. And of um, course, this is so important because in the 2024 presidential election, one hypothetical scenario is it all comes down to Arizona at the end of the day. And you have a governor in place who either will or will not um, flip the true result if the true result is the Democrat wins. Exactly. Arizona's uh, state constitution allows the governor to sign off on the slate of electors. So had there been an election denier uh, in office, especially one who has, you know, talked about the 2020 election being rigged and campaigned with other candidates who pledged that their victories would mean a Trump victory, um, you know, in 2024, that would that would signal that. um, I think absolutely. Um, At the same time, as you uh, asked earlier about um, the Republican election officials and county officials in Maricopa County, they've long been some of the most uh, vocal uh, combatants against the election denial movement. And it's all just through 
transparency is what they're trying to say. I mean, obviously, a lot of these conspiracy theories are not grounded in any reality, um, but they, you know, would hold press conferences in front of glass windows that showed election workers behind them working 14 to 18 hours a day, counting these ballots, processing them, especially so many that were brought in on Election Day at the request of a lot of, you know, Republican right wing media. For some reason, they had a conspiracy that it was better to hand in your absentee ballot on Election Day. Um, so I think what those uh, Republican officials like Bill Gates and Stephen Risher in, in Maricopa County were doing was just trying to show that none of the everything is, you know, on the up and up here. All of these conspiracy theories are not founded in reality. And look, we're showing you look through this glass. People are working around the clock. There, there's no slow rolling here. If anything, we're working extreme overtime to get these results as quick as we possibly can and keep them accurate. And Francine in Smithtown, you're on WNYC. Hi, Francine. Thanks for calling in. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, um, I do not think this was a decisive election. I am very, very glad that we have won as many seats that we have. However, one-tenth of percent or five-tenth of percent of this 49.1 or, or, or 50.1 or 50.5 or whatever, I don't think that's decisive. It means that almost half of the population of that particular voting area has not bought that our our elections are important that our uh the decisions of our elections are important that there was uh denial of elections they are still it really has to has come down i think with how many people went out to vote because in my town there have been times with five people have this have decided the vote or 10 people have decided the vote so that's such a small percentage of, of population that has said yes uh we ag- do not agree with the elections that we believe that the republicans should be in power again and we're just lucky enough that we had a tenth of a percent or five tenths of a percent of, of democrats that went out and voted on the democratic line Fred so I don't that, think this has been decided. Right, it's not over, not definitive. And the example she uses, besides what happens in Smithtown on Long Island, Nick, as you heard, is that, well, if Carrie Lake came within one percentage point of winning the governorship of Arizona, considering how she run on, ran on election denialism, well, this really isn't over. But put it in national perspective, because I think that's really the question here. Yeah, I I think um, you know you're absolutely right. This does not mean that election denialism is gone from American politics. I mean, former President Trump is likely to announce his 2024 campaign tonight. He will clearly make that core to his campaign because it's one of his you know most frequent topics that he tweets about or or talks about. And the narrow losses in some of these races, such as Kerry Lake's, signals that you know it wasn't a, a, a widespread repudiation. There were narrow victories. But at the same time, I do think if you look at how the secretary of state candidates ran compared to the rest of the ticket, um, where those were really the races where election denialism was at the core. Right. In, in these governor's races, while, say, a Carrie Lake or a Doug Mastriano might have been talking about them, there was still economic anxiety. There was still issues about abortion, other issues that, you know, would drive voters um, to vote for the candidate over, say, something about elections. But for the secretary of state. It's really about elections and then maybe something specific to the state like a DMV or a small business license. So when you look at, say, Arizona, 
um, where uh, Adrian Fontes, the Democratic candidate, um, was running against Mark Fincham, probably the most vocal of the election denial candidates running for secretary of state. Uh, Fontes ran about 30,000 votes ahead of Hobbs. Um, in Arizona, Cisco Aguilar, who was running against Jim Marchant, uh, the Republican candidate for secretary of state who helped organize this entire, quote unquote, America first slate of secretary of state candidates across the country. Cisco ran about 13,000 votes ahead of Governor Steve Sisolak. Um, so, you know, we see this everywhere, even in Michigan, where Governor Gretchen Whitmer won by nearly double digits over Tudor Dixon and is clearly an incredibly popular governor. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson won by more than yeah. Governor Whitmer did. So I think and again, these were still, you know, 55, 45, 52, 48 uh, races. They, they were close, but they were still clear victories. And I think what that signals when you look at the margins with which Secretary of State candidates outperformed either the governor or the senator at the top of the or Senate candidate at the top of the ticket, you do see voters, I think, kind of realizing, OK, maybe this is you know a little too extreme for me, especially those independent or moderate Republican or Democratic voters. And I think the bottom line and probably even for them, but tell me if you think I'm being too optimistic, is if there isn't evidence of the election actually being rigged against them, there's no infrastructure in place for them to get away with claiming that it is. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I also think they do realize that there are political damages to going down this road, like personally, right? Um, and some of them who might hope to have a political future realize that if you're trying to burn it all down as you go out the door, that might win you a primary, but it's only going to kind of, I think, further antagonize voters who already voted against this, you know, kind of election denial movement in the first place. So someone like a Matthew DiPerno, who really pivoted in the general election to a message kind of exclusively on crime and, you know, fared much better than I think a lot of people would have assumed when he won the nomination at a, at a party convention um, in Michigan in the spring. Um, you know, he might be looking to, OK, maybe I could run for Congress. Maybe I could do something else on this kind of conservative crime platform and leave the election denialism behind. So I, I do think there is a there's a political toll that, um, you know, denying these results can can bring. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to Carrie Lake if she goes down this path, because, you know, she was seen as a rising star in the party. She was before she even won, um, you know, people were talking about her possibly being a vice presidential candidate, future presidential candidate. Yeah. So if she really, you know, contests this election and, and clings to some either conspiracy theories or, you know, riles up a, a protest, you know, that might be a big risk for her political future. Yeah. And that's what these election deniers were running to create was an infrastructure that would make it possible to subvert true election results. But they're running in a current climate where that infrastructure does not yet exist, and they've lost pretty much all their elections. And so Kerry Lake can't, it seems to me, have a high likelihood of flipping her election on false pretenses, if they are false pretenses, uh, because they failed to create the infrastructure that she was running to create for that subversion. Matt in the Bronx, you're on WNYC. Hi, Matt. Hi, Brian. Thank you for taking my call and to your guest, Nick. Um, yeah, before I ask my question, just upon what I was hearing you guys talk about on the question, have we finally ended election denialism with this past election? I think we could have if we didn't take 
eight days to count the vote. We just ruined it. I, I really think we've got at least another decade of it because it's not just evil. It's the appearance of evil, even when it doesn't exist. It, it's a counting thing. It's, it's within our laws. It's the rules of Congress. You can't have elections take this long and then tell people, don't be a skeptic. When, when I was a kid here in New York City, overnight, France, Brazil, overnight, Florida, one of the most populous states in the country, now overnight. You just can't have systems like this. I know we have mail-in voting, but it, it's really dangerous. That, that wasn't actually my initial question, though. I just wanted to, to point that out if I could. But my, the, the bigger point I wanted to question was towards motives. Uh, it, it worries me a little. I've listened to you over 30 years on and off. Uh, my politics have changed around. But um, so much about that the plan is that the people, the voters, the conservative voters, that they really just want to win and by deceit if they have to. You have to understand, these conservative voters truly believe that they're being deprived of their fair right to have their vote counted. That's what motivates it. I'm not talking about Donald Trump. He's a businessman who clearly even conservatives believe is very narcissistic, wants to win at all costs. But as far as the voters' intent, conservative voters, it's that they want to have their vote counted. Now, we can say they've been inflamed into paranoia. You can say such things, but that's not what's motivating them. I've heard Carrie Lake talk. I know she's divisive to people on the left, but I truly believe her motives are pure. And I I believe, Brian, you've got a little too, too much to impinging motives because you're kind of taking Donald Trump's persona, his narcissism, and, and, and expanding that to all conservative voters, where I really believe the motives are pure. For someone who listens to both sides, and the one thing I've admired you through the years, Brian, though I'm worried about you in recent years, is your ability to articulate the other side's position, even if you don't agree. And I feel I kind of want to make this call to send this out to left-leaning people. I grew up in Manhattan that you can't believe the motives of these conservative people. They feel robbed. They come out of working class now who are robbed by jobs being overseas to China. There's a whole psychology and bigger picture here of why they want to make sure their votes are counted. And now that we're taking days with elections, bad news for, for this mm. getting out of the picture, if, if that's the desire. Matt, you know, I, I actually agree I agree with you on both your points, and thank you, and please call us okay. again. And if you want to hold my feet to the fire, hold my feet to the fire. Uh, but I agree with him, Nick, on both points, and I want to take them one at a time and, and see what your reporting would bear out or not. Uh, on his second point, that we have to make a distinction between Donald Trump trying to subvert elections for his own purposes, although I would put Carrie Lake in that category with him, which he didn't, but Trump doing it for his own purposes, but a lot of Republican voters who've come to believe in election denial, um, just honestly believing in it, and maybe they did have the wool pulled over their eyes by Trump, who they came to trust for other reasons, Uh, but there is a difference between Trump and and the mass of voters who fell into this what do you think yeah there absolutely is a is a big i I almost say divide but you know separation between a candidate or a president like donald trump seeking to overturn an election for his own power to a large percentage of voters who hearing this from someone who they voted for and trusted for many years um you know taking that as verbatim you know when we did our poll in october um before the election it was about mid-october one of the questions we asked was do you trust that the 2022 midterms will be carried out fairly and accurately and 41 percent of republican voters said no um and that shows i think that these beliefs are deeply embedded and they're not necessarily 
coming from a place of like power at all costs, it's actually they've been told this by so many people. Now, again, this is false. There was no rigging of American elections in the 2020 election. There was no widespread fraud. There's been millions of dollars and countless audits. There was over 200 audits in Michigan alone um, that didn't find any impropriety, any widespread voter fraud. It's very rare. It's very isolated when it does happen. Um, but nonetheless, there is, I think, a large contingent that because this has been repeated to them for a while, they believe it. And it's not with some nefarious intent. It's just what they believe. Um, so I, I do think that the caller is 100 percent right there. And that ends our conversation on might the election itself have defeated the election denial movement has normal returned to America, at least in that respect, with Nick Corasaniti, national political reporter for The New York Times. Nick, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.